the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. We've got a shout-out to our super producer, Mr. Max White Pants Williams. Actually, I'm, I'm, I'm on Breast right now. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Well, Good thing we uh, only see your upper body here in this, yeah. uh, in this Zoom uh, video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're a uh, audio family show, so the only nudity here is emotional, and we're so we're so <laughs> glad you joined us. I am Ben Bullen, joined as always with the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend, Mister Noel Brown. Oh, Noel, man, what, myth and legend. That's yeah, so kind of you. Thank yeah, you. What's your, yeah. What's your what's a gig economy? Uh, so what's your uh, what's your pants situation, Noel? Before HR. Uh, gets mad at me for asking. Oh, I, I, my pants are, are HR approved. I'm wearing a bit of a jean, uh, a dark jean. They're kind of new, so they're a little stiff, but um, I'm liking them. I'm, I'm breaking them in. You're a jean guy. You're a deniman. I'm a, I'm a deniman. Uh, but would you say that we are uh, uh, going forth into the breach? Yes. Today? Yes. We're going to yes, breach, uh, do some breaching, unbreaching perhaps? There we go. It's time to breach a uh, to breach and broach a subject that we set up earlier this week with some lovely help from our research associate for this episode, Mr. Max Williams. You might have looked at childhood pictures of many historical figures, especially in the Anglosphere, in Western Europe, in North America, in Canada, and so on. And you might have said, hold on. Why is this really well-known, influential dude, as, as a child, why do they appear to be wearing a dress? Today's episode is the episode wherein we conclusively answer that question. It's true. It's true. Uh, we also do have already in the uh, back catalog an entire episode about uh, kids wearing pants, short pants, uh, and the idea of you know short short pants and, and breeches and all of that good stuff. But we're really gonna uh, go. We're, we're, this is gonna be sort of a, a sister episode to that one in in many ways. And Natasha Frost over at Atlas Obscura points out delightfully uh, an, a little um, missive involving a gentleman by the name of John Neal, who was an eight. 18th century resident of post-revolutionary war America. And he remembers the day that he and his twin sister uh, were par parted, torn asunder is the phrase that uh, that uh, she uses. Um, but here, here's his, uh, his remembrance. They put me into jacket and trousers, uh, he wrote in 1795. Um, and he gathered up his, this is from the article, gathered up his collection of petticoats and flung them over to his sister. And uh, he basically was gifting these to his sister. And being twins, uh, we had always been alike, he says, till then. But from that time forward, I was the man-child. And she, poor thing, 
only sissy. And Which forced something to wear, very different back then. It's just very true. Different. It's very true. And then uh, only forced to wear petticoats. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. And you've seen it. This is for uh, the parents, the teachers in the audience today. You see it all around the world. Uh, Pretty much most Western children start wearing some form of pants, pantaloon, trousers, Mm -hmm. breeches, breeches at an early age. Uh, And this is, you know, quite expensive. When the kid's growing up, you know, you have to buy this kid new pants every month. got to be tailored, too. I mean, this this (laughs) was not off-the-rack kind of stuff back in those days. Uh, And this was, you know, um, celebrated as a sort of coming of age, you know, a lot like a bar mitzvah or something. Or a quinceanera. Mm -hmm, That's right. Yeah, and so this is what our pal Max sees as a nightmare fuel tradition. You tell us what you think, folks. Uh, you're absolutely right, Noel. This was seen as a um, an early rite of passage. You are no longer an infant. You are a full-on child. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I love that you mentioned Natasha Frost uh, from that Atlas Obscura article, which does great work on this. Uh, Frost dates this back to the United Kingdom in the middle of the uh, 16th century and says that when early migrants from Europe came over to North America, they brought this custom with them. The custom of celebrating this evolution of a child's life, this passage of time, you don't see this breaching ceremony almost at all in the early 20th century and going forward, primarily because laundry technology improved, which I know sounds ridiculous and a little bit silly, but uh, people used to be pretty dirty. Sure. And, you know, um, having a child uh, of uh, self-soiling age um, wearing uh, custom-tailored pantaloons uh, could have posed a, a laundry conundrum. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and once, you know, we were able to use better chemicals and technologies to uh, desoil garments, um, it became a little bit less of an issue. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, you know, and shout out to everybody who uh, is concerned about the environment and using cloth diapers. We know know it's a rough gig, folks. Uh, But look, humans are the same back then as they are today. For centuries and centuries, people thought of pants as more than just clothing. It was symbolic. It represented a transformation. It it was a statement of. And, and this sounds weird. It probably hasn't aged well. But back in the day, uh, giving the kid pants was seen as assigning a kind of gender role in society. Because you now sure? now you can climb trees. You can do all the Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer stuff. That's right. Paint fences or trick people to paint them for you. Uh, it's, you know, the origin, surely, of the expression, you know, wearing the pants in, in the family. The idea of this representing a masculine uh, leadership role and sort of being the, in charge, you know, being the, the head honcho. Mm-hmm. And before this pants ritual, uh, all small children would wear long dresses comparable in some ways to the modern hospital gown, except mm-hmm. it was a like, perhaps. Yeah. yeah like moo and a shift, if you will. And a lot of times when families were not royalty and they had a lot of children, these pieces of clothing were purposely made to be sort of one size fits all. You pass it down to the next kid and so on and so on and so on. And of course, more well-to-do families had to flex. They had to have fancy uh, dresses for their children. Yeah, I mean, even, you know, the, the after uh, passing into that um, manhood kind of role and being breached, uh, oftentimes, you know, folks in this uh, era of history would still wear what are called dressing gowns, you know, for bed. Like you think of old uh, Ebenezer Scrooge in his best dressing gown, you know, clutching a candle, you know, as he uh, as he was spooked by holiday ghosts. Yes, which also I would argue uh 
helps the structure of the story because it puts that titan of industry in a more childlike position. Oh, vulnerable. That's a really good point. You know, this is not to get on too much of a tangent, but I I read a really interesting thing about how oftentimes villains uh, in um, fiction uh, and and cinema are seen drinking milk um, because it, it puts them in this sort of like they are this, they've got issues with, um, you know, arrested development in some way, shape, or form. And it's also, I've, I've seen it uh, used as a way of uh, representing sort of whiteness as well. Um, like I believe specifically in Get Out, yeah. uh, the excellent Jordan Peele movie where the, no spoilers, but one of the the villains is seen um, drinking milk uh, and eating cereal separately. Mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange, uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. Uh, whenever you see someone drinking milk in a film, it is a very purposeful choice. Shout out to Quentin Tarantino and uh, Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of there are a lot of bad people drinking milk, uh, and I, I'm sure that uh, the old Got Milk campaign and trade associations have opinions on that. But we haven't called them yet. Nope. Nope, I don't think, I don't know if they have a number. Is it 1-800-G-O-T-M-I-L-K? Oh, that is seven digits. That could be a number. We should try let's giving try that it. a ring. Let's, <laughs> let's try it uh, because we've got our big boy britches on for this episode. So we can cold call people just like that pigeon that's been giving me nightmares. We ain't scared. <laughs> so, yeah, the the idea of breaches, uh, if we go to Anne S. Lombard in her work, Making Manhood, Growing Up Male in Colonial New England, uh, what we see is that this clothing, the transformation into trousers, functioned as a passport to the world beyond the childhood home. You could get into adventures, you could ride horses, you could go on hijinks, and while you did that, just like the uh, story of the twins that we opened with here, while you did that, your unfortunate siblings, if they were assigned female at birth, they have to stay in these dresses. They don't get pants. And this keeps them closer to the home. This is a lot of like Handmaid's Tale patriarchal stuff. Well, well, think about it too. I mean, like so many women's garments, you know, back in in, in history uh, were very um, uh, oppressively tight, you know, things like corsets and you'd often see the the male, the male um, uh, escorts and such almost be necessary in order to help the the women into a coach or out of a coach because they couldn't do it on their own largely because their legs are so tight together and they had to be delicately sort of assisted in and out or crossing a mud puddle in the thoroughfare, you know, in, in uh, Western times, the idea of a gentleman uh, throwing his uh, waistcoat across, you know, the said mud puddle and escorting the woman across, uh, dare she, you know, besmirch her uh, her petticoats. And the struggle continues today uh, in terms of just getting a nice dress with pockets Got your back, folks, by the way. We are pro pockets here. Uh, and oh, Decorative pockets are for the birds. What's that about? Uh, yeah. Decorative pockets. I, I still don't under... Why would you do it? Anyway, so... I mean, we're not fashion experts, but still, it feels a little bit counterproductive. We're not fashion be there, make it, make it be a functional pocket. Why, why? Why not? Why is always sew it up at the top? It doesn't make sense. We're fashion functionalists, not fashion fascists. And we're certainly right. not there experts. You go. Uh, so uh, <laughs> there, there is a cool shout out that uh, that you found here, Max, uh, one of my favorite books that is so often forgotten in the modern day, The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy. This is Whoa. a wild ride. If you like Don Quixote, you're going to like this book. It is bonkers. Yeah, and, and there is a, a an episode of breaching uh, that uh, really represents a, you know, push forward into manhood. Um, and there's a great quote from it, uh, from, from the father of this main character. Tis high time to take this young creature out of these women's hands and put him into those of a private governor. Okay, jumping right from a little baby to a governor. Yeah, and it starts with the breaching. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac, yeah. Bonneville, right? Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one, and that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant <laughs> I said El Camino, and I meant Monte Carlo. I miss it so. Uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's go to Jennifer Jordan, who wrote a, a pretty comprehensive deep dive on masculinity as it was seen in the 17th century. And Jordan identifies the same phenomenon we're talking about, the social import of acquiring pants. This meant, you know, like you said, you're wearing the pants in the family. You're the young man of the house. It became a huge, significant milestone in a, a boy's journey toward adulthood, toward manhood. In in some ways, not in terms of the ceremony itself, but in terms of what it represented. In a way, it's, it's similar to like a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah. You know, it's a huge passage in your life. And people in the canon of Western literature talk about this all the time, not just in their like banger singles, like in their letters to their friends, the equivalent of DMs pre-internet. Uh, Samuel Coleridge uh, talks about it with, I think his son was five years old. Is that correct? 
when he got pants. Right. Did, is it Samuel Coleridge, the guy who wrote uh, in Kubla Khan's Pleasure Dome, Doth Ooh, Decree, or whatever? I love that one, yeah. It's a good one. You know what's funny, too? Talking about manhood, maybe I'm off the mark on this one, but a lot of these uh, these pantaloons were quite revealing in the uh, swimsuit region, let's just say. And often women's clothing were designed to be as modest as humanly possible. It was almost as though the cut of one's breech could, in fact, be designed to accentuate one's literal manhood. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, David Bowie in Labyrinth. <laughs> there we go. We're reference rich today, folks. That's how we start 2024. Coleridge is kind of surprised when he's talking about his son's, uh, his son's introduction to pants. In a letter in 1801, he says, he did not roll and tumble over and over in his old joyous way. No, it was an eager and solemn gladness as if he felt it to be an awful area in his life. So like well, the idea wait, is he's five, area. he gets pants and he's like, ah, beat me here, Max. He gets pants and he's like, ah, shit, it's getting real. Ah, oh, gotta hey. do man stuff. Yeah. And didn't they have like sort of like, you know, again, like like the bar mitzvah type situation, they had sort of gatherings, sort of celebrations of these uh, breaching uh, occasions, right? And and there were like gifts given to, to make the pockets of said breaches jingle with cash or coin to represent the, the, the transition of this young lad into manhood. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the first questions naturally occurs is how old are these kids when they are allowed pants? The answer varies uh, from situation to situation, but in general, it's somewhere between four and eight years old. And it's something like it's a liminal space. It's kind of like when parents decide whether or not to let their kid in on the Santa Claus conspiracy. The way it's depicted is that there were sometimes conflicting desires on the parts of the parents. The dads were like, let's make him a little man, a little mini-me that can go and traipse about. And the mothers were depicted as saying, oh, he's I don't want him ready. to grow up. Yeah, he's not ready. I want him to be my little little guy forever. And in fact, a historian named Catherine K. Kane uh, had this to say, and this is uh, another pull from the incredible Atlas Obscura article uh, by Frost that we mentioned earlier. Some mothers might try to delay the event, especially if there were no other infants or toddlers in the nursery. So that we know that in general can be the case. Often only children get uh, pegged with um, having a little bit of arrested development, perhaps because they are so precious. You know, they don't, there's no one else to replace them once they leave the nest, so to speak. So they're often kind of held back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. It's, it's kind of a stereotype or social observation that can have some sand to it. But of course we don't want to paint with a broad brush if it's not necessary. We do know that sometimes, uh, children might not get pants uh, because of their perceived health conditions. Like, oh, we need him to be on the mend. He's sick with one of the weird medical maladies of our day. Uh, he's the brain fever, the dropsy, the shoe foot, etc. Break bone uh, fever. There it is. and uh, The dancing plague. The there dancing plague. This kid's got moves. We can't put them in pants just yet. Let's see if they can pop and lock and do a Dougie. Or perhaps a, a stanky leg. Or perhaps um, a stanky Also, leg. of course, and we've already kind of alluded to this, uh, class continued to play uh, quite a, a big role in uh, when and under what circumstances a, a boy was to be uh, breached. Mm-hmm. And, you know, another thing is, again, I, I keep going back to this. People are not incredibly different from one generation or one age to the next. So this is a shout out to everybody in the U.S. or Canada who had, as a young child, been dressed in a costume for Halloween without your parents' consent. Uh, My folks uh, always kept, uh, is a place of pride in their mantle, a picture of me as a pumpkin and then as what I can only describe as a a dangerously out of shape French chef. Nice. I I was Ah. like, not even uh, two years old. 
Remember those really kind of shoddy plastic costumes that like came with like sort of like a smock that was sort of made of a weird rubbery material and then uh, almost like a like a reusable tablecloth, but not particularly reusable. And then the accompanying mask, those would be pretty much single use. You you wouldn't really get much hand-me-down action out of those. But uh, the class aspect here is really important because as we mentioned, these garments were uh, custom made or they needed to be, especially if, you know, there were lots of differences in size and uh, and build between various children. So a a, a less well-to-do family might not have the coin uh, to commission a tailor, you know, to, to, you know, cut a a brand new uh, tailored uh, suit of pants, you know, for for a young lad passing into manhood. So they might have to deal with these hand-me-downs and uh, for a while and or continue on with the sort of dressing gown situation until it became untenable. And if there was going to be some sort of gathering or party, it certainly wouldn't be at the scale of, of that that the rich might be capable of, uh, of throwing. Here is a cookie. Congratulations. You're a man now. Child labor is definitely a thing. So into the mines. Up the chimney. Well, the mines. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, it, yeah, class, it always makes me sad when we have to talk about class this way. It makes me think of things like Hard Candy Christmas, about all these absolutely wonderful, innocent kids who are rightly asking, well, why don't I get the same kind of party? Wealthy families balled out on this stuff. Uh, there, there are accounts of kids being given a ceremonial toy sword. And uh, the the historian we mentioned earlier, Kane, talks about how in more well-to-do families, the kid would change into his new custom-made suit because mass production of clothing, not really a thing yet. Nope. And, uh, and sometimes the tailor who made the, the little man's suit would be there to dress the boy uh, or the father's valet because people had valets there. And, and a footman, then, perhaps. Right, yes. right. Mm-hmm. And the family would gather in the room, and then there would be another guest, the local barber. And remember, this isn't too far gone from the years in which someone qualified to cut hair was also qualified to amputate limbs or, and or let, let blood. blood. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, and it's interesting too, Ben, because I think we've 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 been uh hinting at it. Um th- this really was a passage in many ways not only into manhood but into like leaving the house, you know, yeah. because it it you needed to fit into that gender role in order to leave the house and for the wealthier class, that would be more about being introduced into society perhaps, but for the less well-to-do class, it, it it would it might be put off until they literally had to like we said go hit the mines or the fields it you know and that, heart, man. that it's just, it is terrible but that is they would put it off until that point because you can't really work in mines or in fields wearing a a, a you know a, like a nighty yeah you gotta have that uh, flexibility in in the leg areas and like literally every other single thing humans have ever done. There was a contingent of people who had a big problem with it. Uh, there's, there's a guy who, uh, Max, you call him a clear pill. I think he's a real pill. His name is George Nicholson in 1797. He writes a book called On Clothing. I want to give him his due. This was the time of stupid long book titles. So congratulations to you on the brevity, Nicholson. However, your weird anti-pants stance is kind of telling on yourself, bro. He said, look, if you wear pants, it, it's like uncomfortable to pee. Uh, and he also said this would encourage self-pleasure. Because, Ooh. yeah, he, he was like, if you give these little boys pants, they're going to play with themselves. Oh, boy. But wouldn't it be easier to do that? Just lift, lifting up the dress? I think I George know. Nicholson had probably had some things on his own that he needed to he address. <laughs> sort yeah. of like how, uh-huh. like if you read Hemingway writing about bullfights, it's like, come right. on, dude. Everybody knows but you. This is a metaphor for something <laughs> that you haven't maybe <laughs> quite pegged yet. Uh, no, that's a very, very good point. Yeah, well, so, okay. We've, we've got a quote from Nicholson and... Uh, Max, I'm really glad you found this because it shows us this attempt at 
anti-pants propaganda, dare we say, is uh, during the first and second year, the boy can neither button nor unbutton his breeches, and he is continually in a sad condition. Uh, Max White Pants Williams has added LOL. Yes, like what does a that sad mean? Condition. Does, are they in a sad condition because they can't pee, or are they in a sad condition because they peed themselves? Because it just the way he's saying is like they can't get their pants off. He makes it sound like the reprehensible practice of foot binding, which is yeah. totally different. But he makes it sound like you're binding crotches. Well, but also he goes on to say uh, he takes it a step further in saying in his breeches, a boy is pent up and shackled. And by way of compensation, his mind is stuffed with opinion and folly. Is he saying this boy needs to let out some steam? I feel like it sounds like he's encouraging touching himself. Exactly. He has this whole part about this dude's. This dude just has something. He doesn't quite right. know he what he's a, on, what he's on about. It, it seems right. you know? he's yeah. wearing his unbreached dress still. He got some bad pants too. Maybe maybe he just got a really bad pair of pants, and the trauma stayed with him. Uh, because as we know, scientific studies have been conducted on the idea of pants. Pan- like shout out again to Clockwork Orange and the lovely ongoing narrative about the ephemeral cycles of fashion. We know that sometimes baggy pants are in. Sometimes tight pants are in. Mm -hmm. They come and go. Uh, And so there has been science conducted on this that shows really tight pants could damage uh, sperm count or sperm production. But that's like, uh, honestly, guys, that's like reading a study that says insert, uh, insert food ingredient here gives rats cancer. Uh, what they in mean in massive amounts shoveled into their little rat maws, a larger know? amount than any human or any human sized rat would ever actually eat. So I think there's a, a little bit of context that we have to approach those studies with. Uh, however, and this is something, uh, Max, I, I don't want to say you're excited about it, but this is something we've talked about off air pretty often for the past few weeks. We talked about breaching, but Noel, riddle me this. What is unbreaching? Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, You know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. 
Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Oh, into the unbreach go we. Yeah, uh, breaching, of course, was a thing, uh, a, a ritualized kind of passage into into manhood, into, you know, bearing responsibility, the responsibilities of a head of household type situation. Um, but what on earth is unbreaching. So writing for JSTOR in an article called Boys in Dresses, Matthew Wills had this to say, uh, exploring the biographies of men as disparate as Tsar Nicholas II, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and Ernest Hemingway, you're apt to come across pictures of them as young boys looking indistinguishable from young girls. Their hair is long and they're wearing dresses. This tracks, this is sort of the pre-breaching you know, right. situation. Uh, it also makes sense that that's when the barber would make an appearance mm-hmm. because up to that point, if they're not leaving the house, it would have been prohibitively expensive or maybe like a waste of effort to cut their hair. So you'd, you'd have a lot of these uh, portraits um, having them in this kind of pre-breached state. Yeah, and this is not like culture war level stuff. This is a matter of uh, practicality for parents pretty often. And you know, obviously, folks, kids should not have to have uniforms unless they go to like a private school where they make you do it. Uh, if we're big fans of self-expression and people arriving at their own identities on this show. So we get the problematic aspects of this. Uh, we also know that there were changing fashion trends in the world of children's clothing as we get to the turn of the 20th century, now we start seeing more overt uh, kind of gender uniforms. As scholar Joe B. Poletti points out in, in her work, until the First World War, little boys were, like you pointed out, Noel, dressed in skirts, had long hair, uh, the color coding of like giving little girls pink outfits, little boys, baby blue outfits. That wasn't really common until the 1920s. Yeah. I mean, also there wasn't color photography, so it made more sense. You know, it was black and white. So most of these outfits were were white. I'm still, you know, guys, I'm hilariously colorblind. It's it's all gray to me. I'm, I'm surprised more people haven't died when I drive through traffic lights. You're not missing anything. Well, except maybe the color of the stoplight. I did feel bad when because when I wore the white suit and then the Christmas party, I wore a green uh, green tie and a red shirt. And I did not think about telling Ben that. And so it wasn't until we were on air and Noel said it out loud. Ben's like, oh, that's the shirt you're wearing, Max. I'm like, oh, sorry, Ben. Yeah. No, I knew the suit was white. It's good to be able to continuously be surprised by something, though. You that's know, very uh, kind. Thank I mean, you. I just trying to silver lining it, you know. Yeah. So there, there is, uh, of course, uh, there is a, a lining to this as well. You let us know whether you think it's silver lining, folks. Uh, our historian, really lacy lining, right, you know? right, right, right. Our uh, historian Paletti here says that children's clothing became more like 
uh, gender typed. And at the same time, she notes that clothing for adult women began to look, this is a quote from her, more androgynous. And she points out that there was a new sort of hierarchy of differences in color and fabric material. And Trim, the, perhaps. Yeah, the way yeah. it was cut, right. Uh, that would separate boys and girls at um, later stages. And that you also, she notes to the point about photography, she says, you know, you, you're going to have a tough time seeing this in most photos of, of the era because photographs were kind of like, everybody was kind of like a photograph of Bigfoot. Right, but also just some of these specifics, you know, were more kind of specific to that society, you know? So we might not recognize those as being gendered based on the standards that we've gotten used to. So it might be something that we would just would kind of go over our heads um, since we're used to seeing dress equals girl, pants equals boy. There were more subtleties, uh, and especially to your point, Ben, uh, or to, to Joe's point about the, uh, the more androgynous um, types of clothing that were briefly associated with, with women's dress. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot packed in here uh, because one thing we haven't talked about yet is the tremendous role of folklore of indeed pre-christian beliefs that go throughout all communities in the world not just the the western world as we call it today there was this superstition that still persists in various uh, various communities uh, there was this superstition that one must take certain actions to protect one's children from infernal or dangerous supernatural forces. So like, okay. you know, like don't say the kid's name and these certain circumstances. And this is probably part of the reason why the little boys uh, were, were dressed in dresses, which is very weird to think about, but it, there's historical sand to it. A hundred percent. But also um, the idea of toilet training oh, yeah. was, was important. So to have, you know, a garment that was much easier to change and wash and didn't require any, you know, fiddling with clasps or, you know, whatever, because it wouldn't have been zippers or elastic bands. It would have been like, you know, more uh, tricky buttons or, you know, not snaps even. You know, maybe even um, things that had to be un uh, kind of laced. Right. So it was a bit of a to do to get out of your pantaloons. Yeah. The difference. I love that how Paletti puts this. The difference uh, between boys and girls at an early age socially was not seen as as important as the difference between children and adults. That was the big line of demarcation. And so, yes, it becomes celebratory. Uh, it also. <sighs> I, I got to say it. Sometimes really wealthy parents treat their young children like pets, and it's kind of weird. That's why we get the knickerbockers. That's why we get the uh, we get the cosplay when some of these children of very, very uh, well-to-do families got their first pair of pants. They got outfits. And just to clarify real quick, when we're talking about unbreaching, we're talking about all of the fits that went into this pre-breached kind right. of Period. The moo the child's the shifts, life. The dresses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Until you get the pants, you are unbreached. When you get the pants, you have been breached. I see. So this is, and also a lot of this stuff would be much more specific in terms of the bespoke aspects of the unbreached uh, phase. Uh, that would be much more specific to the wealthy, you know, because they're probably also largely the ones that are going to end up in photographs because that was a That's thing a that wasn't, point. everyone didn't get to do that. That was an expensive process and, you know, required time uh, away from the mines and the fields to even, you know, get the kid to sit still and to have, you'd have to have the whole crew, you know, to, to do these family photographs. It and think about deal. it before photographs, like you need someone to paint you. You have to be important and have a lot of That's money right. to have. I mean, you probably have your valet. And your painter and your something, but like, like normal blokes like us now, we ain't getting paid in. Oh, yeah. Unless it was some stylized sort of thing, impressionistic, sort of a portrait of three waifs in I the like, gutter, you know? Yeah, I like yeah. the idea of breaching coming with that, uh, with that responsibility. Like, okay, you're six, you're a man now. Uh, we're going to refer to each other by our surnames, right? I am here's bullied. a gun. I'm, here's a gun, and to prove your manhood, I need you to stand still for about four hours holding this gun, okay? 
I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with the valet. I've uh, opium to attend to. So like that, like that's that's how it goes. I, I, all right, I know we're getting toward the end. Uh, we do have a conclusive explanation here. We do know that fashion continues to evolve, and it does have a lot of symbolic uh, import to various cultures throughout time and across the world. But I want to give a shout out to one of my favorite weird words. We finally got to use it. I can't believe we got this far without saying it. Knickerbockers. Yep. <laughs> it's, just, it's such a silly word. Knickerbockers. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, you know, you'll see it in, uh, I think there's a, the Knickerbocker Hotel. I think there's one in New York and I think there's one in Los Angeles too, but it, it just does, it feels like such a, like it's of its time, you know, this, this word, but they were, they were kind of short pants, weren't they? Weren't Knickerbockers kind of like sort of ruffled little, little pantaloons or what, what's a Knickerbocker? Is it a look, a it's style? It's a couple different things. There are also, uh, oh gosh. Okay. So yes, Knickerbockers are a type of clothing. They can also be, oh gosh, uh, they're also called knickers, uh, but they can also be a last name. It can refer to uh, part of the Dutch community of early New York, right? The Knickerbockers. It's fascinating. I'm just finding excuses to say Knickerbocker more often. <laughs> I think maybe we can start using more specific names for pants, you guys, when we compliment people. We can be like, mm. oh, those are some smart trousers, Mr. Indeed, Williams. Indeed, some fetching pantaloons. <laughs> yeah, you've got a fetching, knack. Isn't fe fetching's a weird one, too. It's like it makes it's like it's like I'm standing up and taking notice. You done fetched me. And here I am remarking upon your fabulous outfit. You've a knack for knickerbockers. My friend, uh, so with this, uh, we hope that we have answered the question. And if you are interested in learning more about the history of fashion, there is a show with a great catalog that we'd like to recommend. It is called Dressed, EP'd by our longtime friend, Holly Fry. The podcast is not putting on new episodes for a while now, but it's deep and it's a really awesome exploration brought to us by co-host April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Yeah, both of whom, I believe both have backgrounds in literal fashion history um, and they go pretty deep into it. And there's a lot of detail and really interesting stuff that even people that might not consider themselves interested in in fashion, there is history is, is forward in this podcast. So it really is, you know, we can learn a lot by the clothes people wore and the kind of circumstances and ceremony around uh, these garments and, and outfits. Absolutely. And whether or not this podcast finds you wearing pants, perhaps the most important thing we can leave each other with today is dress how you want. You know what I mean? Uh, you have the agency to wear what you would like unless, <laughs> unless you know, again, you're in a private school or you're in some sort of situation where a uniform is required uh, because your clothing is more than just a function. It can also be a statement of your personality and how you feel and how, how you want to uh, be seen and be felt. And that's a beautiful, amazing thing. Oh, for sure. Especially now where, you know, gender is such a fluid thing, you know, and, and that is much more socially acceptable than it's ever been. Um, there are a lot more opportunities, you know, for uh, going one's own way in, in terms of fashion. So I think that's really liberating. And, you know, for the longest time, as we see in this history, um, it, things were very much foisted upon people, you know, because of perceived gender. And now it is very much kind of up for grabs. Like, what direction do you want to go in? Do you want to mix it up? Uh, there kind of are no rules. It's just about, like you said, Ben, wearing what feels good and what makes you feel like the best version of yourself. Yeah, I'd like to end on that point. Again, you have agency to uh, to present how you wish to the world, uh, to be seen, to be felt. It is a beautiful thing, uh, and we can't wait for you to join us for more Ridiculous History. We'll be back next week on some brand new misadventures. In the meantime, big, big thanks to super producer and research associate for this episode, Mr. Max Williams. That's right. Alex Williams, who composed this theme. Um, Christopher Asiotis, Eve's Jeff Coates, here in spirit.
A big, big thanks to our pal Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. If you also enjoy food history, check out our sister show, uh, Savor, with Lauren Vogelbaum and Annie Reese. Uh, Christopher Hasi Otis here in spirit. I caught up with Christopher over the holidays. He's doing well. And you guys, he has an official wizard beard now. Oh, Look cool. Really, I asked him if he knows spells, uh, and he thought I was joking. <laughs> but, uh, but, I chatted uh, with him briefly also and let him know that we uh, continue to, to shout him out in every episode. So uh, huge uh, props to Christopher, who was here from the beginning uh, with Ridiculous History. Um, also, for shouting out the Quister, we got to shout out AJ Jacobs, the puzzler. Mm-hmm. Check out his show, too, if you want a daily dose of New York Timesy uh, fun, uh, you know, in, in short form uh, puzzles uh, for your daily commute. Yeah, we'll be on the puzzler in uh, different series of episodes on the way soon. Uh, you can also tune in to catch AJ Jacobs uh, in the future with Ridiculous History. Nope. Big spoilers, folks, but I uh, got a got a sneak peek at his newest book, which comes out in May, and I am so excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so same here. Good. I think you got a chance to read a little more than I did, but the peek that I got was a delight. So um, be on the lookout for AJ's new book. Uh, and in the meantime, we'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.